0: going have some fun down there this morning. So um, before, as they're heading out before we get this morning, I know it's hard to get everything included when we have a lot of family stuff going on, uh, a lot of good stuff, but also just wanted to be sure, um, I forgot to mention um, uh, David and Dion, David's, hope it's okay I'm saying this, but David had uh, some seizures uh, a few weeks back and has just been kind of struggling with figuring out answers on that as well and just some work stuff, and so please be uh, in prayer for, for David and Dion. And then um, also Sharon uh, is continuing to heal from surgery on her foot. Surgery number two. Maybe two will get it. Maybe it won't have to be the third time's the charm. So, um, but I know there's a lot going on. Uh, there's a lot of physical th- stuff, uh, relational, financial, emotional, marital. It just, life, life comes at you. So uh, don't hold back. Uh, don't feel like you have to go it alone. And so, uh, be sure and, and kind of reach out, reach out to me or Drew, or if you're a part of a Connect group, let your Connect group know. Shameless plug. Um, but uh, life is sometimes too hard to go at it alone, and so we want to be there together. So, um, all right, I just want to point out something uh, that it's—you ever heard the uh, the phrase "twinning is winning"? I'm a data twin, so I've, I've, you know. Um, but look at Drew, and then look at me. Today's uniform is shorts and shirts by Eddie Bauer. So, so there you go. What's really funny is that I have that exact same gray pocket tee, and I literally had it in my hand last night as I was setting my clothes out for this morning. And I was like, no, I'm going to mix it up. I'm going to go with the darker Heather gray, right? So, so there you go. Your, your pastor's wardrobe brought to you by Eddie Bauer. There you go. And so, so wait, you have Costco on? What? and now you understand the Trinity right there there we go there we go all right sorry That's, I'm old I have no excuse you're young and you shop for clothes at Costco there you go what's the old joke I'm gonna get some cargo shorts and a side of brisket right so there you go or as one of my all-time uh, heroes, uh, Ron Swanson, says, Stuff Mart. <laughs> there you go. If you know, you know. There you go. All right. Well, hey, I will never forget sitting in the vice principal's office at Westlake High School. No, I was not a high schooler. I had a high schooler. And uh, you see, the, the weekend before was a school dance. And uh, my child, his name is Ian, um, Ian was at the dance. He's a ham. He's a goofball. He loves to goof off and just have fun and, and like he's, he's really, he, was, he is, he's not a kid anymore. He's, he was a good kid and, and uh, but he was at the dance, right, and the music's going and everybody's having fun. And uh, a friend of his tossed him a can of Red Bull. And outside drinks, understandably, were forbidden, right, and so someone snuck in a Red Bull just Red Bull, not Red Bull vodka. Okay, I just want to be clear. It was just a can of Red Bull. And, um, and he takes it and the whole circle goes up and Ian just cracks it open and starts, chug, 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 right? And then he goes, ah, and then smashes it on his head. Right? <laughs> There's been multiple times as a parent where I was kind of like, no. Don't, don't do that. That's bad, right? And I heard that he did that, and I was like, that's so awesome. Like, he's chugging a Red Bull, smashing on his head, ah, like that. Well, the problem was, is that, yes, someone snuck in an outside beverage, even though it was not alcoholic, it was still, you broke the rules, okay? But the bigger issue was, and this is why I immediately drove, I dropped everything and went right to the high school, because he was called into the office, and he was lectured and berated and threatened suspension, because he chugged a drink at a dance. And that simulated (laughs) drinking. And that simulation of drinking did not reflect well on his school, on his team. On his family, and on his faith. And I was like, "What?" And so I went in there, and I was. Ian was very polite; like he didn't sneak the drink in. Ian is like me; he is loyal to a fault. He would not spill the beans. They said, "Did you sneak that in?" No. Well, they're going to tell us who did. No. Well, then we're. I'm not going to narc out my friends. And they snuck in a Red Bull. It's not the end of the world, right? But it's against the rules. And so the vice principal not there anymore. I just want to be clear. Um, um, I, I, I had a petition that got out. No, just kidding. I didn't. Um, she knew it was her time on her own. Um, but so, so I, I was kind of like, okay, what's going on? And she told me what's going on and everything like that. And I said, okay, I understand. It was against the rules. And yes, I mean, immediately you think, ah, Animal House, right? Like, date myself there, but. But I said, okay, I'm going to ask you a question. This was at a dance, right? Yes. I said, was anybody while well, they were dancing, and I used the word that rhymes with jumping. I said, was any, and I'm just going to say jumping because we have little, I said, was anybody jumping? You get where I'm going with that, right? And she goes, well, yes. I said, what does jumping simulate? And she goes, I don't get what you're getting at. I said, no, what does that simulate? When people are dancing that way, what is being acted out? And so she said the S word. And I said, have you already brought them and their parents in and threatened them to suspend? Have you told them that such behavior reflects badly on their teams, their school, their families, and their faith? She didn't really like that very much. I didn't either. Calmer heads prevailed. It was like, okay, we understand what you're saying. We probably shouldn't have handled it this way. But I was so deeply disturbed because I don't like hypocrisy. Now, I'll admit I am a hypocrite. I I openly admit that. But if I ever am hypocritical, please call me out on it, right? Like, I don't try to strategize my life so that I can be hypocritical. Because here's the thing, is that hypocrisy is when your claimed beliefs and standards do not match up with your actual behavior. You see, when we live a hypocritical lifestyle, we, we learn to play the game. We, we kind of expose our real beliefs, and maybe even in this situation, even some biases as well, right? And, and it kind of, those experiences kind of reveal what we actually believe on the inside. Now, maybe you've been there yourself, right? Maybe you've been on the receiving end of hypocrisy, or maybe you've been on the giving, or maybe you're like me and you've been on both, right? The problem is, is that hypocrisy is when we twist things around to make ourselves look better, more justified, more holy, more sanctified, more this, more that, and you less, And so hypocrisy is kind of learning to play the game to where we make ourselves look better and other people worse for, for selfish gain. Now, it's easy to focus on external things instead of examining and dealing with the deeper things of the heart. I couldn't really go into it in that moment with that vice principle and say, why did you do this? Where did this come from? What, what kind of biases do you have? Why do you, you, know, why do you have double standards? I didn't, it wasn't really the time or the place, but it could have, right? Like, this morning, we're going to look, we're going to continue our deep dive into Matthew, and we're going to see how Jesus goes right to the heart in a world of superficial hypocrisy. Now remember, Jesus has been going around. He's been performing miracles. He's feeding people. He's healing people. He's he's delivering people from demonic possession. He's doing all these things, right? And people are following. The word is getting out. People are coming out of the countryside and following Jesus wherever he's at. We're going to start in chapter verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 1. It says this, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. The word was getting out because Jesus was Jewish, and, and so he was per- performing all these things in the countryside. And so the Jewish authorities, the, the, the law experts, the teachers of the law, the enforcers of the law, they're, they're hearing about this Jesus guy who's doing all these things. And so it's sort of like, well, we better come out of Jerusalem to come and see what's going on. This is really exciting and good, Right. They're kind of like, wow, what's he doing that that's setting people free? And where is he? You know, this is amazing. Let's check it out. This is awesome, right? Well, not quite. They asked him, Why do your disciples disobey the age old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand washing before they eat. What? <laughs> I mean, he just fed 5,000 people, 10, actually 10, 15, 20,000 people. He's setting people free. He's he's doing all these miracles. And what do they come out of Jerusalem, out of their palaces and temples and all this kind of stuff? And and the first question out of their mouth is, why don't you make your disciples wash their hands? Please, people. This is bizarre. We should be so like, what what is... Instead of coming out of curiosity, they come with a spirit of critique, correction, and condemnation towards Jesus. Now here's a little bit of background behind this. The Levitical law had some rules about um, cleanliness, right? Like cleanliness, God is basically taking these pagan people in the Old Testament, he's pulling them out of these pagan practices, these cultures. And he's giving them these laws and these things to basically don't kill each other and don't die of diseases, right? Like, I'm gonna give you a better life because I love you, you're my chosen people. And so some of those things were, were just cleanly practices. And some of them were kind of more ceremonial or ritual because, you know, we should be set apart as followers of God. We should be a little bit different than the pagan world around us, right? And so some were common sense, some were, were representing our cleanliness from the Lord, everything like that. But what happened though is that if you old, read the Old Testament, we're in 1 Kings right now in men's Bible study on Friday morning, 6 a.m., shameless plug. Um, um, <laughs> there we go. Uh, we see this cycle, right? Like, like we're struggling, God comes in and help us, we, we give ourselves to God, and then life is good, and then we get sidetracked, bored, tempted, and we fall away we go into this cycle of, like, like separation, punishment, everything like that, right? With consequences to our choices. And then God comes in and saves us again and blah, blah, blah. And it's this ongoing cycle that happens. Well, what happened about five, 600 years earlier from this passage is that they were so messed up that they went into exile. God's kind of like, reboot, you're going into exile. You couldn't handle the freedom that I gave you, so I'm going to send you in exile. And then after that, the, the leaders of the religious law basically said, okay, guys, we went into exile because we broke God's law, so in order to not go back into exile again, we're going to create laws for the laws, right? It's building the fence. That's, that's kind of the, the the language, the imagery that they use, and if one fence is good, two fences is better. If two fences is good, three fences is better. We've talked about this a lot, right? And so they created laws about laws about laws about laws, and what the problem was is that these laws were starting to get way deep into um, interpretation, culture, preference, things like that. And so they enforced these things to try to keep themselves out of trouble again. And so they were like, hey, if, 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 if we can stay busy enough trying to fulfill the law to make ourselves right with God, maybe then we'll stay out of trouble, right? And so the religious leaders basically pushed that on, on, on the people of of the day, and so, um, what's crazy is that hand washing was one of these things. They had laws. I mean, I actually did just a, a shallow dive into it, but they had laws about you have to eat, before, you have to wash your hands before you eat, after you eat, after you wake up, after you touch certain things, you know. Um, you can touch your hair, but if you touch your scalp, then you you have to cleanse your hands. You know, there's certain body parts, obviously. And and then they had laws and rules about how much water. It it had to fill up between your first and second knuckle when you put your hand in there. That was enough water to be cleansing. It had to have certain types of water. I mean, guys, it, it was exhausting. As I was researching this, I'm like, "Oh my goodness! I'm just lucky if I remember to brush my teeth a couple times a week, right? Like, 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 this is exhausting." But the the crazy thing is, though, is that unwashed hands was viewed this as the same level of sexual immorality. To to not wash like. For us, it's kind of like, ew, you didn't wash your hands? Gross. Come on. Like, don't be a weirdo, right? For them, it's kind of like, oh, unwashed hands, you know? I mean, they were, it was like punishable by death if, if you wanted to get carried away with it. And so you have to understand when they come in, I mean, they are seriously worked up about not washing hands, The problem was that these laws became interpretations of the law, and these interpretations of all these laws dominated every single aspect of life. Why? Because the law is how you made yourself right with God. If you couldn't obey the law, there's something wrong with you. It's all us. I have to do this, I can't do that. If I do this, I'm either good or bad, right? Life was dominated by these laws. It was all up to them to make themselves right with God. Now, don't don't miss the irony here. The legalists are coming to Jesus to correct how he's telling people how to get right with God. Here's a guy who had literally, in, in 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 a few Moments, he would literally give his life as the ultimate sacrifice to pay the price for our brokenness, our sin, our separation from God. He would give everything to make us right with His Father. And they're kind of like, "Why don't you have your disciples wash their hands? That's how you get right with God." Adventure's at missing the point, right? There's a deep irony here. Okay, verse, uh, verse three. Jesus replied, and why do you by, this is great, Jesus, uh, Jesus, I'm telling you, if you don't think Jesus has a sense of humor, we need to re-read read, read this, right? Because he, he's kind of like, oh, okay, I see your hand washing, and I'm going to raise you a couple things here, okay? <laughs> why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? For instance, God's, God says, honor your father and mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectful of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, Sorry, I can't help you. For I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you say they don't need to honor their parents. And and, and so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. This is the practice of Korban. Okay? The Old Testament said you must honor your father and your mother. And a part of that, it didn't, it's not just, I'm telling you, if you've ever used this to your own kids, it applies to you just as much as parents. Okay? Because, because as adults, it's our job to love our parents until they die. And so, like, back then, they didn't have nursing homes. They didn't have long care. It, it, we were a family right and so we took care of our parents until they died and so what happened was that was that uh it could be a burden right if you've ever cared for for you know long term health care elderly like it disrupts your normal life and to have them in our homes and things like that um it can disrupt things right and so so what happened was that there was this this uh covenant called korban and it was basically I could make a vow that when I died, everything that I had would go to the church and to the temple. And so I devoted it to the Lord. Now that sounds really prestigious. That sounds really holy and righteous, right? Like, wow, you're giving your entire inheritance to God. That's a really good deal. But here's what happened, and this was pretty commonly known, is that, let's say, I don't like my parents anymore. They didn't give me an Xbox when I asked, asked for it, right? They wouldn't let me stay out past one in the morning or whatever. Like, I, you know, you didn't take care of me when I wanted, it, when I wanted things, so I'm not going to take care of you, right? And so instead of giving the money to the parents that's spending money, it's sort of like, well, I'm sorry. I'm going to give everything I have to the Lord. It's delayed. Basically, everything I have is now mine until it's God's when I die. And so, well, I'm not gonna give it to you because it's the Lord's. You get you, you in what's going on here? This is very conniving. This is very, like, duplicitous, right? Like, I, w- I would rather nobody get anything than me give to my parents. When I die, it all goes to the church or to the temple or whatever um, because I don't like my parents. It's a very holy and righteous way of saying, I dishonor you, parents. And so two things. One, people would say, all everything I have is going to go to the church when I die. Right? And people are like, wow, that's amazing. And the religious leaders weren't going to step in and uh, interfere because why? They were benefiting from this. They were benefiting. the, The leaders of the church were benefiting from people disrespecting their parents that's where they got their money. And so Jesus basically says, you do realize that in the Old Testament, (laughs) he didn't say Old Testament, but in their history, if you dishonored your parents, you would be stoned to death, right? And now you're encouraging it. Heaven forbid my disciples don't wash their hands while you commit sins that are punishable by death and calling it righteousness. Then he continues um, in verses 7 through 9. You hypocrites. Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God that cuts deep. They knew a lot about God, but their hearts were far from him. They didn't know him. In in fact, their their hearts were so distracted, confused, and hardened that they actively twisted the word of God, their view of God, and they called it good. So Jesus doubles down and and sees their hand-washing and hand washing laws and, and he raises them dietary laws we see this in verses uh, 10 and 11 he says then Jesus called the crowd to come to hear listen he said and try to understand it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you you are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth dietary laws were even more intense than than the cleanliness laws right and, and, and Jesus is saying they don't matter they don't matter. Instead of worrying about all these laws of, oh, you ate this type of food or, or whatever, he's, you know, he says, maybe worry more about what's on the inside that comes out instead of the outside in. Now there's Listen to what he's saying, not what he's not saying, because I once heard a great podcast, Holy Spirit Soapbox, shameless uh, plug there, it says garbage in, garbage out, right? We wonder what's coming out is nasty, it's because what we put in is nasty too, right? So he's not saying, hey, it doesn't matter what you put in your mouth, right? But he's saying that doesn't make you unclean. What makes you unclean is what's in here that finds its way out. He's, I mean... They talk about hand-washing. He talks about disrespecting parents and food laws, right? And, and then I love verse 12. I mean, they are, the, the disciples are really smart. Then the disciples come to him and ask, do you realize you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? And Jesus is kind of like, huh, you think? <laughs> I, I didn't think that I could be understood that way, right? Like, like I was trying to encourage them. And, and no, I mean, they're like... Oh my gosh, that's so offensive. But then he continues in verse 13. Jesus replied, every plant not not planted by my heavenly father will be uprooted. So ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind. And if one blind, blind person guides another, they will both fall into a ditch. He says, if it's not from God, ignore it. Don't even listen to it. Don't give any credence, don't fill your minds, your hearts, your time, your eyes, your your anything with the quote-unquote wisdom of these knuckleheads, right? Because they're blind, and if you follow a blind guide, you're going in the ditch, right? It's going to come to a fiery end, so be smart, be careful. Then verses 15 through 20, Then Peter said to Jesus, Explain to us the parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. Don't you understand yet? Jesus asked. Anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. Okay, I'm not the only one that talks about this kind of stuff when I teach, okay? This is straight from the Bible, all right? So everybody says, man, Jason didn't talk about fecal matter today. <laughs> there you go. Um, he says it goes into the sewer, but the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery. All sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed, unwashed hands will never defile you. God sees and values what's on the inside. You see, we can't hide. From him. We can't pretend with him. We can't put on the best image of ourselves because he sees what's on the inside of us. Now that is scary, but it's also reassuring because he sees it and he still loves us. If you have been taught in your life that, that if you do something and you're unlovable and you're unworthy, that is bull crap. I'm just saying it what it is. Because Jesus sees it and he loves you. He doesn't want you to continue in that. He doesn't want you to say, ah, it's not a big deal. No, it's a huge deal. That's why he was on his way to the cross to die for that junk that's on the inside of us. It matters. It matters so much. But it's not something that disqualifies us. In fact, it qualifies us more for his sacrifice. Amen? God sees who we really are on the inside. And that's where he wants to start the transformation process. He doesn't want us to clean up on the outside to to stop doing this and start doing this. A lot of times we think externally to outside in, right? But he wants to do a heart change. That's why it's the language of heart, a heart transplant. Everything comes from our heart, from our soul. Everything else flows from that. I love how later on we're going to see in Matthew chapter 23 where Jesus basically says that the religious leaders are like cups and bowls that, yeah, they're washed on the outside, but the inside is gross and moldy. You guys ever leave stuff in the sink at your house? We never do, but I've heard it happens. Now let's say one of your kids had some dairy product like ice cream or yogurt or cereal or whatever, and that bowl sits way in the bottom corner of the dirty side of the sink and someone forgets. And all of a sudden you walk into the kitchen and it goes, it stinks in here, right? And so you start digging through and it's sort of like, oh my gosh, how long has it been since anybody had done the dishes? Again these are things that I've heard happen. Um, and all of a sudden you get to this rotten, disgusting milk, right? So what if i would take that bowl and i would say okay we're going to clean this up and wipe the outside and then and say okay here you go here's your yogurt and granola right like like that's what jesus says and he also goes even further he says you're like graves that are painted white on the outside yeah they look great and prestigious but you have dead and rotten flesh and bones on the inside now that's gross to us that's that's unclean to them Right, because to touch a dead body meant that you had to go through all these cleansing rituals after that. So Jesus cuts to the heart later on when he he basically says, yeah, you look great on the outside, but it's on the inside that really matters. They might wash their hands and they might eat right and they might do religiously good looking things, but their hearts is where their evil thoughts, acts of murder, Adultery, sexual immorality, thievery, lying, slander, and so much more comes from. But hey, they're giving everything they have to the temple. They're giving everything they have to their religion. They're giving everything they have to the law. So they're good. No, he says, you're rotten on the inside. It's important to remember now, we're going to switch gears just a little bit. It's important to remember that, that Matthew doesn't write his gospel in here's a story, and then here's a story, and then here's a story, and they're not interrelated. I love how Matthew writes his, his, his gospel in a way that's, that's like either action and then explaining or explaining and then, and then example, right? And so that's what we're going to see next in this next part here. There's a point. Jesus gives a real life object lesson. Verses 21 and 22. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. Okay, again, if you know biblical history, she's a woman and she's a Gentile. Double whammy. This is not okay for her to come up to a man, Jesus, right? Like all the religious leaders would be like, you Gentile and you woman, stay away, right? We're afraid of you. We have to understand the significance of what actually is happening here. But she comes to Jesus and pleads for mercy. She pleads for him. She goes, Lord, son of David, have mercy. Then verse 23, but Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all her begging. Okay, Jesus rejects her, right? It's like, wait, you just talked all big about how you love people, and then you don't even give her a word? You don't even acknowledge her presence? You don't, like, she's begging, and you don't even acknowledge her. This looks unreal. And, and what's crazy is that you see the hearts, what's on the inside of the disciples. They've just seen and heard Jesus do and say things. And what do they say? Can you please just leave? You're, you're, you're a Gentile. You're a woman. You're nagging. Get away from us. we got important things to do, right? And they want her filth gone. They are annoyed. Instead of sensitivity and compassion, uh, they, they showed prejudice and selfishness. Then in verses 24 and 25, then Jesus said to the woman, I, went, I, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. Okay, again, that seems like, wow, okay, you're only here for the chosen people of Israel, so get away from me, you Gentile, right? Um, but she came and worshiped him, pleading him again, Lord, help me. That word worship literally means to fall on your knees, to lay prostrate in front of someone that you are worshiping a sense of awe reverence respect so she literally she's not deterred she continues to pursue him and just lays herself out at his feet out of honor and respect and surrender then verses 26 and 27 jesus responded isn't it right or it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs okay jesus what's going on here right like you're saying the children who are god's children the chosen people of israel right and then dogs dog was what the jewish people called gentiles you because it was more likely for god to bless a dog than to bless a gentile that was what they believed and so he just says it (laughs) what am i going to take food from the children and give it to you a dog verse 27 she replied that's true lord But even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath the master's table. What's really interesting is that you're going to see the only time in Scripture where Jesus seems to lose a debate. He says in verse 28, Dear woman, Jesus said to her, Your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. Now, What's interesting is you kind of see this happen. And I think two things is going on here. This is why Jesus did and said what he did. One, he was testing her faith. He was testing to see, hey, are you just wanting me to change your circumstances, or is your heart on the line? You see, too often we come to Jesus out of a sense of need, which is okay. But if we, all of a sudden, man, Jesus, I'm not going to make it through the end of the month. Please give me a couple hundred dollars, right? And then he gives us. So it's like, yes, okay, back on my way. Or, or Jesus, heal me from this, right? And, and he heals us. And it's so like, yes, okay, now I can go back to life like normal. If I, if I want these things from Jesus, and then when he gives it to us, then we're kind of like, ah, oh, yeah, whew, okay, back on my way. If we treat Jesus like a cosmic sugar daddy in the sky, and we just pray and pull that lever, then see what blessings we get... missing the point. He wanted to see, was she really putting her heart on the line? The second thing is this. I think he was testing his disciples. I think he was testing the disciples because they came and said, seriously, get out of here. You're annoying us. We have important things to do. We have places to go. And, And we have all these things that we need to do, so get out of our way, right? He wanted to see what was on the inside of their hearts. He wanted to see if they would be moved by compassion and love for her. And what's so cool, again, it's like she obviously doesn't win the debate because he was, she didn't change his mind, but she showed, hey, Jesus, I give my life to you right now. Again, contrast the critique of the legalists and even the disciples somewhat with all these things of hand washing and all these other things like that versus complete genuine surrender and faith of this woman so here's the big idea from this passage pay attention to the heart because life flows from it pay attention to our hearts because our lives flow from it now, now what i'm now what i'm not saying here is that it starts there but the life of jesus comes into our heart and then finds his expression through our lives we don't muster it up in our hearts instead we surrender our hearts to christ he transforms us and then we see the outworkings of that for the rest of our lives so instead of being moral cops having a gospel of morality having um you know sin management tools things like that use those externals to to look deeper into what's going on in our hearts. Why are these things coming from our hearts? And allow Jesus to transform us from the inside out through his word, through his spirit, through his presence. Okay, three things to remember from this passage. Number one, test what is taught. Test what is taught. Be careful about how things like traditions and cultures and rituals and ceremonies and all these things that might seem to make sense in the moment, maybe that's all we've heard our whole life. And we don't question it. Why do we believe that? I don't know. Grandpa taught me that. I don't know. I heard it in church all the time. Test what is taught. Take everything that I say and go back to here. Please don't believe everything I say just because I say it. Because guess what? I'm human. I'm fallible. I will make mistakes. I will misunderstand things. I, I'm, I try not to be super blind leading the blind, but sometimes I'm blind, right? Test everything that is taught through God's word, through his spirit, what he reveals to us. And, and make sure that we're being smart because it's too easy for things to be twisted and then etched in stone and lead us away from the very one that we should be surrendering our lives to. Again, hypocrisy and legalism is kind of the system that we, we learn how to play the game, right? As long as I'm doing this, I'm okay. As long as I'm not doing that, I'm okay, right? And, and, and it's easy for us to twist these things into a game that, that we make ourselves better. To battle that, eat a steady diet of God's word. Have a constant presence of him in our lives. So test what's taught. Second, focus on the heart. Again, the externals reveal what's on the inside. So use the things that we see expressing accordingly to help us get to the heart. Right, Like this Gentile woman showed what true faith was like. It was humility it was dependence on Jesus and Jesus alone whereas the legalists were I'm gonna obey these laws I'm gonna do these laws because I can make myself right and in the process I'm going to increase my power and my prestige instead of surrender in worship and the last thing three think outside your box think outside your box the discipline the, the disciples were annoyed right all they could see was their own life and they miss the opportunity with this woman i like how the life application study bible says that instead of being annoyed be aware of the opportunities that surround you and make an effort to look for ways to minister to others think outside of our box too often we're so worried about making ourselves good that we miss helping other people who are struggling around us as well So test what's taught, focus on the heart, and think outside of our box. So how do we move from belief to action, from knowing to doing? First of all, ask God to reveal to you what extra things have made it into your belief system and what effect they're having. Just do a little bit of an inventory, right? Just say, what do I believe? Where does that come from? And if there's anything that doesn't come straight from the word of God, or it might be in a verse here, it might come from a verse but then all of a sudden you realize that verse has been radically taken out of context and it's been misused and abused instead of being used within context of how it was meant right so ask God to reveal the things that have made it into your beliefs that actually are hurting you instead of helping you experience that transformation from him number two identify one situation where You need to look at the heart and what's going on within yourself. Maybe it's, I hate to say this because I hate conflict, but I've kind of learned that conflict can actually be a good thing because it's where we kind of like we talked in the past about how times of stress and struggle is when what's really inside comes out. That's conflict. Conflict is a furnace, right? And so maybe it's a conflict. Maybe it's a, a, a struggle that you're having. Maybe it's a fear that you have maybe it's it's this obsession maybe it's this addiction maybe it's um just something that you're constantly you know your mind is always going back to this thing it can be something that could be good it could be something that was bad whatever it might be ask god to reveal to you what is going on inside of your heart i i use the example of of years ago i i got into motorcycles and and I kind of would obsess about like looking for the perfect motorcycle and I'm kind of getting to that era again where it's like I got to have some, some handlebar therapy, you know, I got to start riding again, right? And it's, so it's easy to think, okay, is that a bad thing? No, it's not a bad thing. Is it a bad thing if I go and get a $15,000 motorcycle when I have other bills that I need to pay? Yeah, that becomes a bad thing, right? But I need to ask myself, where does that urge come from? What is missing inside of me that I feel like my life is not complete without a motorcycle? You can fill in your own blank. By the way, your, your, uh, your discussion cards have, have your own fill in the blanks there. So you can kind of ribble. So, I'm just kidding. I'm out of toner. So it just looks terrible. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like, I used AI to fill in the blanks on there. And that's what came out. There you go. But no, ask ask God, okay, I have this desire, I have this urge, I have this feeling of of need. Where is that coming from? What is missing in my life that I have to try to fill it with this thing, this experience, this person? Families are great. Families are wonderful. I think that God gave us families to experience a taste of of what it's going to be like with him in heaven, but, but the good stuff, right? Like, If I try to make my happiness based on my family, now I've turned my wife and my children into my savior. Something they were never meant to do. Something that they are unable to do. And if I look to my marriage, to my parenting, to my friendships, to my job, to my possessions, if I look to them to make me feel whole, that is a functional savior. Jesus is just this cool guy that I kind of like on the side whenever it was convenient for me. We have to surrender and recognize those, those gaps that we're trying to fill in our heart. And last, ask God to develop an awareness of what's really going on in the lives around us and to meet them with compassion. I forget who said it, what, what author, what book that was in, but, but he basically, uh, it was like divine disturbances, <laughs> like divine interruptions to where we're like, I don't have time, just no, 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 no. And it's sort of like, maybe we should lean into that right? Maybe, maybe God brought this person into our life so that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus to them in this moment. We need to think beyond ourselves. We need to develop an awareness and a compassion and a love instead of just being so blinded by what I have to do right here and right now. I know that's a lot. This is hard. <laughs> this is hard because when we talk about the heart, it's really vulnerable. It's really intimate, and we like to put up these, these images of, of who we are, and we're afraid to let other people in, but Jesus sees who we are, and he loves us. We matter to him. In our loneliness, in our depression, in our pridefulness, in our ignorance, he still loves us. We don't have to do a song and dance to make him happy, to make ourselves worthy enough for him. He loves us, and that's what makes us worthy, amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for these these teachings, these stories, these things that actually happened 2,000 years ago, but God, we also recognize that they continue to happen every day. God, we we find ourselves in these stories because we're just like them. God, reveal in us the struggles. Reveal in us the holes that we're trying to fill, the emptiness that we're trying to compensate for. God, I pray that, that we take that leap of faith and we turn to you, we pursue you. God, I get it. We get tired. My heart breaks when I hear of people that are like, I am so exhausted right now. I just am not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. God, I know that. But God, help us to have the faith of this Gentile woman who is an outcast. No one was rooting for her. No one was walking this journey with her. God, she came directly to you and would not relent. God, I'm sure that she was frustrated. I'm sure she was offended because she had heard how good you were and all these things that you were able to do, but yet, God, He was not you weren't doing them for her in that moment. But, God, we see that relentlessness of her faith. God, help us to pursue you. God, sometimes you're going to give us what we ask for and you're going to bring healing, you're going to bring restoration, you're going to bring peace, you're going to bring... Fulfillment. You're going to bring all these things, but other times, God, it might not look the way we want it to. But God, we know that you're sovereign and you're loving. God, help us to find peace. Just like Drew said last week, it's just the peace in that storm. God, you're present with us. We see your power and your strength in that. God, you're not going to give us anything that we can't handle without you help us to surrender to you. God, and in the process, help us to be vulnerable and to allow you to transform us. You're going to expose things in us that we try so hard to deny, to ignore, to excuse, to justify. But God, I pray that we would see your heart for these things. God, we thank you that your burden is easy and your yoke is light. God, we surrender to you. We thank you so much for your love. We praise you your name.